My name is Brent Amelie Esker Brent Ithsprent, an arist, a podcaster in training, but my experience in the group known as the Fandalites has, I believe, qualified me as a full podcaster. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where myself and Jenna read and discuss the Animorphs books in order. This week we are covering book 46, The Deception. It's an Axe POV, ghostwritten by Elise Smith, who also wrote books 30 and 37. She now writes under the name Holly Chamberlain. Uh, she's at Holly Chamberlain on Twitter, and you can find her stuff at hollychamberlain.com. This book opens with the Animorphs overhearing a Z-Space broadcast that their Cold War is turning hot. They steal a jet fighter to reach the coordinates contained in the broadcast and end up in a pitched battle between the U.S. Navy and Yurk forces. The Animorphs may or may not have been successful in stymieing Visser 1, nay, Visser 3's plan to instigate a war between the U.S. and China, but if they failed, it's only because the U.S. has a war boner that will not be denied. In the end, Axe manages to force Visser 2 to call off attacks and nuclear strike, but only by threatening to nuke the Yurk pool. I like the phrase hot war, Brent. It's a hot, hot war, Brent. It's it's a hot, hot, hot war. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know we were excited that things are ramping up. We were very excited last book. Thing, things really, they ramped and then they just fucking banked it. Like, f- they are in the atmosphere. That's how far they have ramped up. It, this is this is buck wild. Last book they ramped, and this book they hit the opposite side of a Springfield Gorge and proceeded yeah. to tumble down. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, where do you even start, Brent? So uh, the book opens not with the exact cold open that we had like normal, but with the continuation of the conversation Jake was having with the Andalites over the Z-Space transponder at the end of the last book. And as I predicted, the Andalites do not super give a shit that things on Earth are not going great. They super don't. And as I predicted... Ava was giving them information. She had information about the Anadi war and how the Anadi front is a trap for the Andalites. And the Andalites were like, cool, thanks. We'll, we will call you back. Yeah, yeah. They were like, so we appreciate the heads up, but also we get why you would lie to get us there first. And Axe was like, mm. no, nah, no, nah, they're for real. And they're like, cool, cool. Thanks, Axe. But also, uh, you're a little questionable. Mm. Because you, yeah. you've gone native. Yeah, this book is a lot of, I, I mean, a, a natural extension of Axe's storyline up to this point. It was very much a lot of him struggling with his loyalties to humanity, which like his new family and, all, and also to the Andalites, his old horrible family. It is a little disappointing given the, the arc that Axe has had that this book contains Axe attempting a paternalistic Andalite plan that is apparently the first that doesn't spectacularly mm. backfire. Yeah, it really is. And it is it is a little ironic that he comes down to his loyalties and he decides his loyalties is to the humans, but that that means betraying his human prince, Jake, who he knocks unconscious when he says, maybe let's not do that plan that you have. Which is such 
a fucking Andalite thing to do. Right? It's the most Andalite way of being loyal. My loyalties are to the humans, which is why I have to do the things that they don't understand I have to do, because it's best for them, and I know what's best, because I'm an Andalite. Right? It really was the most perfect example of that. And it was hard. It was it was, it was was a little bit hard to read. I mean, it was difficult because there was no comeuppance. Yeah, it just sort of works. And the sort of the setup plot between China and the US and the, the launch of the next world war is stopped for now. As far as we know, it's never actually explicitly said that no one's launching any nuclear strikes, just that it's not happening the exact way that the Yurks planned. <laughs> because there is still a US naval carrier in the middle of the ocean sinking that has had mass combat happen on it and a Chinese sub that's just self destructed so that's not like great for international relations probably somebody's gonna be a little upset about that yeah i'm sort of curious because we've we've spoken previously about how we have this sort of sitcom standard where a plan will happen and then when the animorphs thwart it the visitor will never try it again <laughs> i'm curious if we get that same thing here or if this is going to be like the plot from here on out like visitor three slash visitor one now i'm just gonna say visitor one from now on because that's what he is Visor 1 is going to try to double down on this plan, or if he's just going to switch to another one like he does every other book. This book ends with no indication of how Axe lands the fighter jet or how the other Animorphs get back to shore. So I assume it's another return to status quo ending, but I guess I can't guarantee that. I'll be a little disappointed if the next book just starts with, well, things are happening and have moved on, but we're not going to talk about how we managed to successfully land this jet this time and how everybody got back to shore. Yeah, I mean, the fact that this book opened with the ending of the last book in in a pretty direct continuum gives me a little bit of hope. But I don't know. It This seems like such a big and important operation. They make a big deal about how important it is. It feels like there's a chance that this is it. Yeah, but at the same time, it does seem unlikely that the next book is going to open with Axe in the, the cockpit of a jet. Oh, I don't think that'll happen necessarily. And I don't think it should, actually, because I don't... He, reading about them getting out there and then crashing the plane and morphing seagulls and sneaking aboard the submarine was all fine, but I don't necessarily need a repeat. I feel like... It, it is upsetting to have read all that huh. if we decide that we just don't ever need to cover it again because, well, they've done it once so they can do it in reverse for sure and we don't need to talk about it. I kind of think we don't need to talk about it though because part of the reason they made such an intense dire plan of stealing the jet and making it out there is that they were on a timeline. They had a deadline of when they needed to get there to figure out what was happening. They don't necessarily have that on the way back so if they just wanted to morph whales and swim it would take a while and it would not be very interesting to read but they could just do that that's true i was thinking specifically of axe landing the jet Mm. because i know that i never could in top gun for the (laughs) nes sure which i may have mentioned (laughs) sure when we were talking about flight sims in the 90s prior to recording yeah but he crashed the plane for a reason and it seems weird to just say well now we don't since we don't care about where 
Like, he's got infinite time, so fine, he lands it great. I think something I'm interested in is what they actually did with Admirable... Ad, not Admirable. He was not Admirable. Admiral Carrington, the aka Visor 2, uh, who we finally meet. I'm curious what they do with him, because they, are they just going to let him go? He's still, like, a very high-ranking government official host. Seems like a bad choice. Axe said he'd let him live... But I don't think they said he'd let him go. I would forgive the weird, like, let's pretend that Axe has ever landed a non-VTOL craft before in his life uh, situation that this ends with if we open with them trying to figure out what to do with this or two. That would be great. I mean, they've got, it's a good prisoner of war. It would be super great if they got Visor 2 out of the Admiral and then they just had the Admiral. That would be great for them. I have a, I have a feeling we just won't hear from him again. It would be very interesting if they had Visor 2 in the Admiral and brought in Ava to pretend to be <gasps> Visor 1 no. in Ava to interrogate him. I mean, I think, I'm, I have to assume that they know X Visor 1 is dead. Because Visor 3 said so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they would have promoted Visor 3 to Visor 1 if they thought the previous Visor 1 was still alive. Like, I just don't see that happening. I feel like they've been able to hide a peace movement in the Yerkul for a while, so shit goes down there. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Uh, so you mentioned flight simulators. I wanted to talk about <laughs> about why we were talking about flight simulators before the sure, start absolutely. of this, because Jake knows an astonishing amount about aircraft carriers and jets and things that I don't even know enough about to remember what he talked about. Did he ever appear to have an interest in boats or planes or the Navy before this book? Because I always just thought he was into b-ball and his dog Homer. I think he and Marco maybe have talked about cars once or twice, but in that sort of generic teen boy kind of way, you know? That I have a Ferrari poster on my wall yeah. that I got at the book fair yeah. sort of way, but I don't know shit about shit. Exactly that. But in this book, he goes into to intense kind of boring detail <laughs> I'll, I'll admit to breezing kind of? I, I breezed over a lot of it so if it wasn't boring i don't know because i i just breezed over it because he was no, just it, talking it was about boring it. okay good i'm glad to have that confirmation brent yeah, no, you 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 won by breezing over it, 100%. <laughs> it seemed like a lot. Part of me, like, I can see Jake as being, like, a kid who was super into trains growing up. Because he and Marco have that low-key car thing. It might be that, like... Uh -huh. When he becomes the leader of this group, this might be like Jake's version of Rachel's war quotes vision board, you know? I, I kind of remember vaguely that there was a thing like zoo books, but it was for... Aircraft carriers? Yeah, like military hardware. And it, I, I remember having a three ring binder of these little cards. Okay. And they weren't like baseball cards. They were bigger. They had the holes punched in them to put in the binder oh. that had vital statistics. I vaguely remember there being something like that that was maybe through Scholastic, but I... It's early enough in my life that it's not clear. I'm kind of flashing back to when I was a librarian having to shelve a lot of those books that were like slice diagrams of like aircraft carriers where it would be oh. or like the titanic where it would be like this giant oversized book and it would have the the ship like 
bisected so you could see inside all the rooms and it would be like, here's the boiler room and here's the such and such. I can kind of, maybe Jake just read a bunch of those in preparation. I mean, slice diagrams are like the coolest thing ever. They're catnip. <laughs> so I, I get just wanting to look at all of those. Normally you're wanting to look at the supervillain volcano based slice diagram, but sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Why, why not Titanic or, or I mean, they did, carrier. they did do it for, for aircraft carriers and, and oh, yeah. ships and all, all sorts of things. Also, Star Wars ships that was an extension of that brand I remember for some reason knowing that the uh I don't anymore I remember for some reason knowing like the model designation of the Blackbird okay because of (laughs) X-Men okay SR-71 it's just so it's not it's not outside of the realm of possibility that this is just a side of Jake we haven't seen before but the intense amount of detail that he's just sort of able to rail off was suspect the rest of the anabarfs are just like and then and he's like and it's got two nuclear engines and a steam turbine it's got approximately 2,500 people except probably not these days because of budget cuts and they're like and then it's got like 90 planes on it and it's you know, they're a mix of these models. It's okay. I forgot right, that he cool. talked about budget cuts. That's so... Yes. <laughs> That's so- it was incredibly detailed. It makes me wonder if the ghostwriter was not in the Navy at some point or had relatives in the Navy at some point and so just knew all of this stuff just from Thanksgiving dinner or from personal experience and was padding the book with it. Yeah, I was low-key thinking that it was like like how some of these books have really specific kind of unnecessary details about animals and it sometimes feel like the author has done just a lot of research about this animal that they were going to have a character morph and then they wanted to use that research because they did it and it'd be nice to add it into the book. It, it kind of felt like that, but for the Navy, but I forgot that they did specifically mention budget cuts, which <laughs> does feel like more your thing. And like number of people staffing it. Yeah. Which is a weird statistic to memorize off of the back of the trading card for that. <laughs> aircraft carrier yeah i think that's a good reading that this is somebody the the author has personal contact with navy folk and axe does strangely lionize the u.s navy a couple times in a way that he has not really for u.s armed forces in the past that i recall yeah i mean there's a lot a lot of parts later on where the uh like a non yet not yet host controller navy men will like salute or like be really proactive about helping the animorphs and that was sort of weird to me like that they just knew which side this alien was on and which side this tiger was on that's that read weird but that might be why this is good alien the others are bad alien yeah especially the ones that look like people i know yeah it seemed a little unreal but also the the latter portion of this book was so much like slapstick it was so like Benny Hill was playing in the background as people burst in and out of rooms and uh, Axe is chasing after Chapman and Chapman's in a room drinking coffee and then Axe gets knocked out and locked up and then he has to break out again. It was just like a lot of weird back and forth stuff like that. It's interesting that you got Yakety Sax in the background because my note on this part of the book is that it seems like the whole thing was written in dim first person shaky cam with no sound but a real high pitched noise (laughs) like when in a movie a bomb goes off and it's the, the person sort of 
surveying the carnage afterwards because there's lovingly detailed descriptions of the dire straits that all of these battles are in and then just like randomly oh yes and of course this person is like i'd be honored to give you my dna and clothes and gun dude yeah because you need to acquire a new human morph to climb some stairs for some reason even though you got like four already they all acquire a lot more humans in this book than than is necessary (laughs) really it didn't seem yes. like they needed to, but they just kept, like, at every corner, they were like, oh, we, we've already been that face. Let's get a new face. It's weird. I'm not even sure they necessarily needed to acquire the two pilots at the beginning. No? No, I mean, they they already have adult morphs, a couple of them. Yeah, I just assumed that the, the crew that was prepping the jet would know to look out for the two people who were scheduled to fly it. They knocked those fools out anyway. That's true. They did knock them out anyway. <laughs> they gave so many people in this book brain damage. Yeah. Double digits. They they just knocked unconscious straight up. Yeah, which actually I think leads back to there's that moment earlier on in the book when they more or less agree that shit's popped off. Like they agree in book that that shit is getting real and that they basically have no morals anymore. Most of them agree to that. Yeah. Cassie is like, yeah, but we made it this far with morals. And Jake sort of takes her hands and <sighs> squeezes them and says, yeah, but sweetie, we don't now. And she's just like, all right, I trust you. Yeah, that was kind of a weird moment because Cassie makes a very good point, which is that there's always a reason to abandon your morals. And the whole point of morals is that you have them and you don't abandon them just because it suits you or because shit's getting really bad. But but Jake literally does grab her hands and, and is like, but what if not? <laughs> what if we acquire a bunch of humans unnecessarily and use their faces? Right, like I'm, I'm not certain that Cassie's argument is correct in this specific case about like how shit's going down right now, but she's not wrong about the fact that they probably don't need to just acquire every fucking human they knock unconscious. They really don't. Like they have morphs of human that are on the submarine even, and they still just one after another gonna get gonna get a little bit of you, gonna get a little bit of you. Let me have your DNA, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not always. It's not even just they're not just DNA jack these people they're stealing all of their clothes too so they have a bunch of brain damaged unconscious uh uh, nudes that they're leaving stuffed into lockers all over the ship i'm saying it's classic Vinnie hill okay i'm I'm coming around i'm coming around (laughs) brain damaged unconscious nudes stuffed into lockers does to me sound like Vinnie hill uh it was just it was it was engaging but it was confusing like i did at no point during the submarine hijinks was i very like super clear about what was happening or where they were or what their plan was until until shit gets really bad and Axe is like I'm gonna I'm gonna nuke the Yerk pool or maybe I'm not he didn't but it was it was a call it was a call it was a close call I think he would have yeah I think he would have uh, d- tell me why so even at the very beginning of this book before stuff got really dire he was saying things like maybe just maybe it doesn't matter how we win which is a very Andalite thing to say but also a very human thing to say hmm yeah there is that portion early on where he's like human morality is so changeable yeah humans are an odd species they will proclaim a particular ethical and moral stance one day and the next they will proclaim an opposite stance with equal passion which like fucking tell me about it axe but still yeah so it makes sense to me that axe is like no no i was always going to do whatever it takes to win sorry jake i think you're probably right i think axe would have done it and i don't know how to feel about that I guess let me clarify that acts as written in this book would have done. Okay, that's fair. I 
don't know that I buy Axe knocking Jake out to do it in the first place. Yeah, that seemed weird to me. Especially after the last couple times he's had that sort of loyalty frisson presented to him and finally decided, no, Jake's my prince. I'm obeying my prince. Yeah, yeah. The last Axe POV, he was he came down firmly like, nah, Jake's it. I respect and love him. But maybe the fact that he had to make that choice at all sort of weakened his his overall stance on loyalty i mean well now he's into estrid again so Fuck, i don't know what's going Brent. on i think maybe he's just he's just horny as shit that was so weird i'm glad we both had notes on that because when i when i read about him fantasizing about going back to the andalite homeworld and having a family and maybe maybe meeting up with that estrid girl again it was like what are you saying x X, have some standards, my son. Right, like, I thought by the end of the book where he met Estrid, he was like, actually, I don't like you that much. But now it's been a little bit, and he's like, man, I want to have babies with her. Yeah. Which I guess is a real teenage sort of situation to find yourself in. Yeah, I guess if you're the only one in your species on a planet, and you met one single person you're attracted to. Who did suck face with you voluntarily. That's true. As humans, they kissed. I forgot about that Brent. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, I guess there's something there, but I just want Axe to make better choices. I mean, I, I would hope he would once he's back in the world, but right. still, it's it's weird that he's like, yeah, I want her to have my babies. I didn't, I know I didn't like her as a person, but <laughs> it's been a little bit and I ain't seen anybody else. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like he, he grows up it, like a decade later, he's looking back and he's like, God, I can't believe I had that crush on Estrid. <laughs> I was so young. I was so young and so desperate. I was so lonely. I was so young and lonely they did not have andalite porn on usenet (laughs) poor axe also he has a lime green imac which is adorable yeah yeah talk about nostalgia man right oh vivid yeah one that rachel bought him with a couple months worth of allowances which damn rachel more than a couple several he says yeah months worth of, of credit card allowances which is its own sort of adorable like good on you rachel it's yeah i'm glad that she forked it over but also i'm flashing back to my allowance in high school which i think was five dollars a month because i had to wait i had to save up my money every couple of months before going back to borders so that i could afford books uh we got another block of that weird text brent yeah what is that it's it's back again so i assume that it's gonna get explained you have to assume so the text this time said everything is going as planned soon you will all be ours and it was in the same sort of bracketed off separated section as it was at the end of the last book but it was like right in the middle of this book i don't know man i don't know i don't know i don't know either i'm a little worried there were two moments in this book where axe was like actually this went really well this we got we really lucked out this was super easy it was really easy to steal this jet uh and so a little bit of me is worried that it is illamist or krayak sort of smoothing out the way for them to do whatever the big end game is the way that it's written is specifically ominous in tone though which makes me feel like it's the drode talking to someone else mm, like krayak like drode two electric oh. boogaloo Ugh. i don't like to think about that brent <laughs> i I do, because can you just imagine them talking to each other? Yes, they're almost us. I agree. (laughs) Amazing. I love it. I want to hear it. I want to listen to it. On loop. (laughs) 
Remember, your drone voice made me a fan of the drone. <laughs> I have a lot of regrets uh, from this podcast, Brent, and that it. That is high up on the list. Axel's right, though. Stealing a fighter jet seemed like super easy. But they did go. It did go very. It did go pretty well for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it did. What do you What do you think that typography is? Like the actual font? No, no. Like, what do you think it represents? That that little conversation back and forth. Like we had yeah. at the end of the last book. We had the middle of this book. Do you have a guess, or do we just not know? I think it, my only guess is that it's like the Greek gods hovering over the Peloponnesian War, like moving their their warriors at different places and and making people square off. Where it's like that's that's what makes me think it's the Illamist or Krayak. Okay, because it, it feels like they're it feels like an above looking down sort of view on the events that are happening. That's my guess brent it wasn't a very funny one but that's what it was i mean i think that's the best guess we got there it is sometimes our guests are are very in earnest and that was one of them it's the best guess we got other than the drone talking to the drone yeah (laughs) what if it's the drone talking to himself in a mirror does he start making out with the mirror because i can't picture the drone reacting to his reflection any other way that's interesting brent is that because of the voice yeah a little bit (laughs) good 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 what what else that's in this book brent so uh uh, there is a point at which Axe is taken captive by Chapman. He knows that Axe is an Andalite bandit and uh, just sort of leaves him locked in a room and fucks off to go have a cup of coffee somewhere <laughs> else instead of immediately switching hosts to the goddamn morph-capable Andalite. So no wonder you're stuck in a goddamn vice principal, dude. Actually, you mentioned that earlier, and as you were describing it now, I'm wondering if it doesn't have something to do with the fact that Chapman's a voluntary host? Like, I don't know what that would necessarily imply, but maybe that's why. Like, maybe the yerk that went into him is just not up for any sort of struggle? Yeah, like, maybe maybe it's so much more worthwhile having a host that's not fighting you every moment, especially when it comes to human and andalite hosts. This is like the, the drug-rug stoner yerk who's like, man, if a host is fighting you, that's just, like, not chill. <laughs> I mean, maybe Chap is, Chapman's part of the uh, peace movement now. I doubt that. <laughs> Hendrick Chapman uh, was not a good dude. No, it's definitely not that. But I, that that's my best guess. That And by guess, I mean that's my best justification for that plot hole, which I think is just a plot hole. I mean, that's all we do anymore, pretty much. <laughs> just patch over the leaky parts of the Animorph books. <laughs> desperately like press our hands against those holes in the hull while water is spraying (laughs) out around them very good there's a little bit where axe talks about how human morphs are almost too compelling Mm. and i thought that was an interesting like i know we've talked about before how the andalite experience of morphing another sentient is sort of a funhouse mirror version of the yurks taking a host yeah Uh, especially during visser we talked about that because of the experiences of the the visser one yurk and this sort of lines up with that axe talking about how it just being extremely tempting there's just so much in a human form to be in and present and it's just almost too much Mm. and that's sort of what the yurks who initially took humans that was their experience too so i thought that was an interesting parallel to bring us back to yeah that the fact that he feels compelled to humanity and to specifically to be human i thought that was interesting he mentions later on uh while he's on the submarine about how when he is morphed he has a harder time feeling separated from humans like it's harder 
for him to, to maintain his Andalite superiority when he is morphed a human, which I think makes sense from an empathy level. There was one moment where he says something like an escape boat with like 30 people on it gets shot down and he's like 30 humans died. And then he corrects himself and says, not humans, people. I thought that was really interesting. That I buy 100% for his arc because it's very much his liminal state where he's still very much intellectual and Andalite, but has been among humans so much that he's starting to assimilate. Yeah, and especially if he's like so desperate and lonely and sad that he's thinking of Estrid again. (laughs) It makes sense. It makes sense to me that he would want that he would feel better being human because he would be quote unquote among his kind. And also he has a deep and abiding love for Cinnabon. Yeah. Uh, The only other thing I wanted to mention in this book is that they installed a universal decryption program on the NSA servers and then just sort of left it there, which hindsight does not (laughs) seem like the best idea. But I guess in the late 90s, maybe it was not such a red flag. (laughs) Yeah, they are like, Ags is like squatting on the NSA servers basically because he has to have that the decryption program slash translation program growing all the time so he's just like there now one obviously he didn't need that brand new iMac because he ends up having to steal time on government servers (laughs) anyway so like it sucks to be you Rachel I guess sorry you didn't get four months of clothes from Express (laughs) and two during the time when he's hacking that he's like oh yeah they've detected me they're trying to keep me out and then he installs the thing and he's like oh they're backing off now like you think yeah (laughs) they're just they're like oh Uh, okay yeah no this is just ours now we'll take that It was weird. A weird moment. It was almost 90s enough to make me forget that they made Rachel the co-pilot of the first plane because she's the only one who has experience crashing a jet except Axe. Yeah. I mean, she flew it up until the moment she crashed it. And that that is, I mean, to be fair, I think that's the same justification they gave for making Marco the driver on one of their plans. That he literally stole a car once and then wrecked it. I think the difference is that as far as I know, Marco has never crashed a car on purpose that's fair is that better or worse no i i don't think it's better i think rachel (laughs) crashed the jet on purpose so it makes more sense to say well yes okay you have some experience you did this on purpose (laughs) that's on the other hand it's very easy for marco to say afterwards no i totally meant to do that so Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> In hindsight, Jake is apparently a jet wonder kid and probably should have been the co-pilot because he knows everything about jets and shit, I guess. Seriously, he would have been like, oh, no, Axe, you can't put the, the flaps at that pitch. Not on, not on an F-14D. <laughs> Maybe on an F-35. Right? And I would have skipped over reading it, just like I sort yeah, of tuned out a little bit he said too. that. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Anything else you wanted to bring up about this book? No, I feel good about it. I'm very excited. I'm excited about the direction the series is going now. It's interesting. I feel like as shit's popping off faster in these books, our episodes are getting shorter. Uh, Yeah, you might be right. I feel like we're under, I feel personally under less pressure to stretch things out because there's more interesting things to say, which is probably the wrong instinct. Probably if I have less interesting things to say, I should make it more succinct. I do the same thing though, so. There we go. What a good combination of personalities for this podcast uh next week is book 47 the resistance and we will have a special guest star on that one because i'm visiting jenna 
uh, on the East Coast, and my wife Val will be joining us for that. In New York! In the city? Yeah. The city of apples. The city of apples. <laughs> the apple that never sleeps. That's that's right. That's, you can't beat a bobcat in the apple that never sleeps. There you go. It's a Jake POV, so I'm looking forward to what else we learn about jets and shit. <laughs> I predict that this character trait will never come up again. <laughs> You're probably right. Thanks for listening. Please join us next week. If you have anything to say, email us, fandalites at gmail.com, or hit us up on Twitter at fandalites. If you want to subscribe and you are not for some reason already, uh, subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to podcasts on iTunes or Google or Spotify, or you can listen uh, at our, on our website at fandalites.com. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. And until next time, Remember, nostalgia is a drug.